Hello and welcome to this episode of the PE podcast. My name is Jack Jacob and I am your host. In this episode, I'm joined by Lisa Hawker, who's the head of IT at Arc Schools, which is a multi academy trust um, comprising of 37 schools. So firstly, this episode is for all, but especially if you're a mother, especially if you're someone that wants to get into tech or an aspiring leader. This conversation is extremely interesting and inspirational where we cover Lisa's career and personal journey. Lisa starts with telling us that she wasn't actually that academic growing up, but always worked really, really hard. And that was exemplified by the fact that she left school at 16 in the May of that year, went into secretarial college in the June and then walked straight into a job in the September. Through her start as a secretary, she discovered an affinity and an aptitude for IT and helped automate a number of processes. From there, she progressed into IT roles and into an IT coordinator role in a primary school. And from there, progressing throughout the ranks to now a head of IT um, at a multi-academy trust, as said, with 37 schools. Now, in between all of that, Lisa um, was pregnant and then married at the age of around 20, um, divorced and a single mother by 21. Um, and really had to navigate the balancing act of being a young single mother with really strong career aspirations. And as such, she returned to work just after three months after giving birth, making her story a truly inspirational one. Please do enjoy this episode as we get to know the person behind the job title. Hey everybody, before we get into this episode, just want to give a shout out to the episode sponsor, which is XMA. XMA deliver IT solutions which enable educators to evolve and transform the way they work and have been doing so for over 30 years now. They've been applying the right balance of computing, data center and print technologies to empower connectivity, mobility, security and collaboration across the whole of the public sector. The modern classroom embraces technology in all aspects of learning, which typically incorporates connected devices, audio-visual tools, and an efficient IT infrastructure to support that technology. The teams at XMA work to understand your goals and objectives so they can empower connectivity, mobility, security, and collaboration across your schools, which is why they work so closely with your schools to deliver hands-on training, host planning workshops to agree your project roadmap, and present you with affordable solutions that will allow you to reach your objectives and goals. For more information, please visit www.xma.co.uk. Thank you for joining me, Lisa. Um, so let's start with um, basically at the, at the beginning for you. So talk, talk to me about your childhood. Okay, I was born um, in West London. I was born in Hammersmith Hospital, which is now a, a teaching hospital. Um, I grew up in Notting Hill until I was about uh, five years old. Uh, my mother was born in Notting Hill, but my dad is from um, from Kent. Yeah. He was actually born in Whitstable. Um, my mum always said that, you know, living in London in the 70s isn't the best place. So she was keen to bring us bring her family up outside of London yeah so we actually moved out of London um when I was just coming up for my sixth birthday actually yeah and we we moved halfway between um where my mother was from and where my father was from yeah um but all my cousins and uh my grandparents on my mum's side stayed in London so literally until I was about 16 I still spent every weekend in yeah. London um yeah. with my family um, yeah. It was growing up in the 70s was was amazing. Um, you know, it was actually a brilliant time. Um, I had a really, really happy childhood. Yeah. Uh, I've got an older brother. 
who's five years older than me, and my, yeah. I've got a younger sister who's 11 years younger than me. So we're quite big, big age yeah, gaps. Yeah, say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, quite big age gaps, but same mum and dad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I um, then when we moved to Kent, I actually had to start the primary school again because I went to um, nursery and went to school quite early in London and the primary schools in Kent weren't the same. So I actually almost like started the primary school again. So that was that was quite strange. Yeah, um, but it, it was it was happy. It was good. You know, it, it was it was happy. <laughs> yeah, good. No, that's good. That's good. So so. Um, a similar situation actually to my family because I think a lot of in the seventies, I think, or um, my nana it was this late seventies or early eighties that she moved down to Crawley, and there was almost like overflow um, towns that yeah, were created and stuff. That's right. Yes, yeah, so that's the same. My 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 old man, um, similar Battersea, and then moved down to yeah. Crawley, and um, and so yeah, you've got all these like these home county towns. Um, yeah. South that are just, well- yeah. Where we moved to, it was um, literally both sides of our neighbours, um, the people opposite, they were all people that are moving out of London. Yeah. So they was all ex-Londoners. So we just had that affinity of of people all in the same situation. It was like it was like a new close, a new housing estate. Yeah. Um, and everybody was, you know, quite similar. Yeah. So yeah, I think it happened a lot in, in the 70s. Yeah, no, indeed, indeed. So, so, so you're now working, obviously, the the kind of education sector and stuff. Was you academic growing up? Um, not specifically. Um, I don't think. I mean, I obviously um, grew up in, as I said, in, in the primary schools in Kent, and the selection tests still take place in Medway and Kent. So there was an eleven plus test. I okay. did take the eleven plus. I didn't pass it. I remember being really, really disappointed about not passing it. You know, a lot of my friendship group actually were those that passed the 11 plus. And, were and going the 11 plus to was to get into like a gra- yeah, grammar school. Grammar school. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. And they st- that still exists in Kent today. Yeah. Um, so I wasn't particularly ac- academic. Um, I've never thought of myself as particularly academic. But my, my mother always says, but you just worked really hard. I just feel that I, you know, I want, always wanted to do better and I worked hard. So I, I didn't pass the 11 plus and I went to a comprehensive um, girls school. Um, it was CSEs. It was even before GCSEs take, took place. Were, were in place so yeah. I took um CSE's exams I didn't even take O levels but I did I did fairly well um I was quite poorly around the time of my exams so um I didn't take a couple of the actual physical exams and had to do a lot based on assessment yeah but I did but I did okay but I just know that I, I worked hard um but I didn't want to stay in education either I, I knew that I wanted to leave school I, I was quite striving for independence I wanted to you know be my own person I wanted a job I wanted to be independent I wanted my own money Mm. so anything anything that you know I was very driven I wanted a career and I just knew that I wanted to work in London yeah no I don't think I was academic fair enough so so I know some part of your story in terms of and we'll we'll come on to that sex I was I was really excited to do this this podcast with you just because I think that you and I don't think you know it and I don't think you feel it, but you are, you will be. And after this episode's finished, I can assure you, you will have inspired a lot of, of people, but particularly women um, and women with children and, and women that have had a couple of careers and so on and so forth. And we'll, we'll get into the conversation about it, but do you see yourself as an inspiration to women in tech? Um, 
I mean, you, you've you've got to know me a little bit recently, so you know how I, I can how I can be, and um, I hope I'd, I'd like to be an inspiration. And if I can just inspire a couple of um, young women um, to take a career in IT, then I, I'll be delighted. And I feel that my job my job is a part part way done. Yeah. Because I I do want I do want to inspire. I think everybody should have an opportunity, and I think I am proof of the point that. You know, it can be about hard work and about having goal, having goals and achieving those goals, which is what I have done because I've I've actually achieved. I had some like really big goals of I wanted to be ahead of IT and I've I've achieved that. Um, And and I do believe that I can continue. Um, So, you know, if I can inspire, then um, that that would be great. That's that's exactly what I'd like to do. Cool. Well, we'll come on to your your story and, and as to why. You know, I think you're an inspiration um, for the little part that I know, and 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 it'll be good for me to really dive into um, into that, that kind of story a bit more. So, 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 sixteen. Did you leave school immediately? You said you didn't want to stay in education. So, did you leave school at sixteen? Yeah, yeah. I left school after literally. You know, when you have you go and take your exams, and then yeah. you have your you know your you, you know your um, exam time off, etc. I never went back to school after that. Yeah. Uh, so I left school in the May. Um, I didn't, I, as I said, I didn't know specifically um, exactly what I wanted to do, but I just knew I wanted to work in London. I mean, in those days, my mum was just like, well, you're not staying at home. You're going to get a job. So, you know, you're not just sitting about the house, but yeah. it's not something that I wanted to do anyway. Yeah. Um, I yeah. think it was a friend of mine had had been had taken a course. Um, so I just went to my mum, oh, well, I can do that then. If, you, if that's okay, I'll do a secretarial course. I'll do some training. And then once I've got some, you know, some exams, some training behind me, then I'll be able to get a job. Sure. So, so they agreed to it. I mean, it was quite a lot of money in those days. I think they paid um, a thousand pounds for me to take a private secretarial college um, course. Yeah. And it started in the, it was, it was supposed to be for three months. And I started in the, um, I think I started in the June. So about a month after my exams had finished. So there was no gap between school and. No, not really. Yeah. I I left school at at that age to at six to one. I got politely asked to leave. Uh, (laughs) And, uh, shock. Um, and, uh, yeah, and and I I did I had my summer holidays before I started working just because I wanted that little bit of time for me before I got to work. So yeah, you went you went straight into it. Then. I went no, straight. No I went back. straight into college, and um, it was a secretarial course. Um, and I I actually I actually took computer studies as a subject in my um, select. You know, when you take do your selection of what exams you're going to do, I actually chose computer studies. Now, actually, I I. I mean, I'd been into IT and well, more tech in in a in a way in my teens, and we can talk about that a bit more if you if you want to explore that. But I had been into it and I had taken computer studies and I was interested. And when we went, when I took the secretarial course, one of the things that um, I absolutely loved was word processing. So computers, you know, it was just a single computer. It was a you know personal computer, a PC as we as we knew them then. Um, and the word processing element of it really, you know, really excited me. I was like, oh, I can do all of this on a, on a computer, but I had to learn to type first. They wouldn't let me go onto the computer unless I'd learned to touch type. Right. So we had a great big old fashioned, what we called golf ball. I think they were IBM golf ball printers. I think they was called, and they was really hard manual, uh, typewriters and, 
um, yeah, I had to learn to touch type and they covered up the keys and I still stand by. It's one of the best skills that I've ever learned was to touch type. Um, so yeah, I did that in about two weeks. What can you, um, what's your, what's your words per minute? Oh, at one point, I think it was about a hundred. I think I really did get quite quick. It's not that now. Um, but yeah, I think at one stage when I was actually working as a PA, I was typing about a hundred words per minute. Yeah. Um, but yes, it was the, it was the, it was the, you know, the word processing using the computer that really excited me. Mm. So I, you know, I, I passed all of those um, courses. I actually asked if I could do um, an add-on course, which was which was bookkeeping, which I did. And I think I passed all of my exams and I left there in around the end of September, beginning of October of yeah. the same year that I'd left school. So still still 16. Yeah. Um, so I said, right, I'm ready to go to work now. My mother took me up to London. We visited, I think, two recruitment agencies in on the same day. Um, I walked into the recruitment agency in the morning and this is how different recruitment has changed from when I first got my job. Yeah. Um, walked into that recruitment agency. I, they said, take a seat. They did did a small interview with me. They did some tests, shorthand, some typing tests. And they went, right, just wait there a moment. And then they come back and they said, right, we've got you three interviews. So there and then I'd ha- I got three interviews. So I walked out of that office and went to one interview, took that interview, went to another, took that interview. Oh, well, on the, the same day? On the same day that I'd walked into the recruitment agency. Really? Yeah. That, literally, they just, obviously in those days, they obviously would have got jobs on a book and then they'd, but what, for whatever reason, I don't know. But I mean, you could just couldn't imagine that ever happening no, today. You couldn't. No, no, not at all. Well, I, I worked in recruitment for about three years and I'll probably say the the quickest I've had were probably a day later, a telephone interview, let alone yeah. face-to-face interviews. Three in the same day. Yeah, went wow. to the I went to the interviews, bearing in mind that we went back to Victoria to get the train back to Kent. So it's only about an hour and 15 minutes. We got we got back to, to home. And um, literally, as we got walked through the door, the phone rang and it was the agency telling me that I'd been successful in one of the jobs and offering me a job. Oh, amazing. And that job was working in the typing pool at the Institute of Electrical Engineers on on the Strand, and it was the most fascinating place. Yeah, it, it was it was it was fascinating. Yeah, so 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 it was almost kind of had a bit of tech kind of spin to it. Um, I worked in the typing pool, and yeah. um, I worked with a lot a lot of ladies. Um, that had been there for a number of years working in the typing pool. You know, some of them were, I mean, I'm still 16 at this point. Mm. Um, I, I always felt that I was um, really mature for my age. I don't know why. I mean, I just felt that I was and I was absolutely loving it. But quick, for really, really quickly, um, I was showing them how to do stuff on in on the computers so yeah. I was showing them how you know just just silly things so I obviously had an aptitude for for IT even mm. then in the respect of I was saying what you don't know how to do mail merge oh I'll show you how to do mail merge oh I've set up all the addresses on labels so that you can just print them like in sheets on the printers rather than they was still handwriting envelopes and things like that I taught them how to do it it was it was you know when I think back I think wow I was brave really mm. um, just to you know, go in there and go. Oh, I know how to do that. I'll show you how to do that. Um, so yeah, and that's what I did. So there was, you know, there was definitely an attitude for being able to pick up things in yeah. you know, technology quite quickly. Mm. Um, and I think that was the first time I realised that I was, you know, actually 
was a quick learner and I, I could actually probably progress into to doing other things. Yeah, of course, of course, makes sense. Yeah, I think I think what it probably is is just that logical mindset and, and being able to learn and retain the information quickly um, and, and then passing on. So so did the older ladies that you work with, did they like that or did they not like that? Because I can imagine yeah. you've, probably, you've probably trodden a few toes as well doing, you know, to... Yeah, I think um, they actually, they they were, they didn't seem like they minded it and they were um, really kind and we, we all got on very well. Um, I'm not sure that um, the, the lady that used to run the typing pool, I mean, imagine like really old fashioned like times. I mean, this was the Institute of Electrical Engineers. I mean, in some respects, and I hope, I wonder if anybody from the Institute of Electrical Engineers ever watches this, but I remember um, arriving and thinking, wow, this place is amazing. Huge historic building on the Strand and on the embankment in London. We had a, refect- a refectory. So we had a staff canteen. We used to... Um, we used to need to um, log in and log out with your with your card when you arrived into work. You'd go to the canteen and you'd get a piece of paper and you'd have like you could have a two two three course meal and it was eleven p like highly subsidised yeah, like yeah, lunch. Yeah. But when I used to deliver the typing back out to um, to the people that were working there, it was like this little windy staircase and you'd go down this windy staircase and there'd be an old man sitting in this office that you didn't even know was there. And I don't know if you've ever seen Chitty Chitty Bang Bang where they have all of those old men building, making the toys, etc. Yeah. That's what it reminded me of. Um, and, and Mrs. Fricker, I never forget her. Um, she used to run the typing pool um, like very severe lady, you know, really old fashioned suits. Um, she used to check everything that you did, you did, like she'd take a sample of work and quality assure it and all sorts of things. I mean, she was really experienced and she was yeah. quite a nice lady, but I think, I think it was a bit, I mean, you imagine somebody at the end of their career and somebody coming in and, you know, that, that, you know, that, um, gap between mm. me and her and I think sometimes it uh, I don't think she liked it very much yeah I can. so did you call her Mrs Fricker did you say yeah yeah we did yeah See, yeah that's so, it's did. crazy to think that you know in in relative terms not that long ago really um what's this the 80s early uh, 90s? yeah so um what year would it have been 87 yeah yeah, yeah. 1987 yeah so so not that long ago really no uh, imagine if someone imagine if you went into work today and one of your kind of new members of staff called you you know hi mrs hawker yes go, i'm not a teacher no call me exactly. Lisa. yeah exactly yeah yeah it does it does feel very strange and quite dated now doesn't it but it is relatively recent time yeah yeah, yeah. crazy crazy so, so, you, so you've done that for a, a couple of years so then so talk to me about um because i know you had children quite uh, quite young relatively young yeah um by about 20 you had children wasn't it yeah i was i was 20 i was 21 when i had 21. my son yeah yeah um yeah it was i mean um, I was about to get married, so it wasn't, you know, any anything of a surprise. But I was very career driven, and I did, you know, I was, um, I did think, oh, you know, how is this going to affect my career? You know, I really did think about that. You know, how, what do I do? Um, do I give up work? You know, my mother was a, a stay-at-home mum. She'd been, uh, you know, she'd been the home homemaker. My dad had his own business, um, and she stayed at home to bring up all the children. And you know, there was this view of that 
that's what what girls did, did you know that mm. you know you had your children and you and you did give up a career and there was you know around the 80s there was this um, movement of and things were changing where women are empowered and women can have jobs women can have it all I'm still not convinced about that but you know that was the, the general feeling in social times um so you know I I was a little bit like oh you know I, yeah so so, um, oh, is your, is your mic... No, it's all gone. No, you're back again. You're back again. I'm back. Um, so, so the, what was that period? So how long did you... Did you get pregnant when you worked at the... Uh, as a, no. as a or did you have a couple of jobs between that? Yeah, I had... I mean, I stayed um, at the Institute of Electrical Engineers for just under two years. And then I went um, to work at a marketing company as a PA in a services division. And I'd, I'd not long left there and I decided um, I'd moved up to London. By this time, you know, I'm having fun. I'm 19. Um, and uh, yeah, I'd moved up to London and with my girlfriends and we're sharing a house. And um, I thought I'd just take something, you know, I was doing some temping work. Yeah. And then obviously that was even more disruptive because I didn't actually have, have a job. I didn't have a right. permanent job. So whilst pregnant I wasn't going to be entitled to any maternity I mean and there was really very limited maternity benefits anyway so I literally found myself pregnant in a temping job and I was actually temping um a, a government a government subsidiary mm. part of the Ministry of Agriculture Fisheries and Food they they was called Food from Britain okay. basically they work with UK companies um to help them export British goods um, and I was I was temping there and I was actually doing a variety of jobs. I was doing some finance, um, admin, and actually I was helping doing a bit of IT as well. And I think that's where I really felt that this is what I really, really want to do. IT, um, you know, logical computing, that is that is actually where my passion is. Mm. Um, but yeah, so I was I was temping. Um, I found out I was pregnant. I um, was about to get married. Um, I was going to London to buy um, my wedding shoes and I slipped on the train and ended up underneath the train at Victoria. Oh my broke God. my broke my ankle when I was just, um, it's quite embarrassing, don't <laughs> mind the gap. I literally went down the gap. Um, yeah, so um, I broke my ankle. So it was, it was quite a traumatic time, to be honest with you. I remember... Um, you know, feeling quite sad because I was, I was pregnant. I, you know, I really did. You heavily have, pregnant at that time or? I was four months pregnant. So, I mean, yeah. it was, it was traumatic. You know, I got rushed to hospital. I had to have an emergency scan because obviously you can't have an x-ray. So I remember it, it was, I was still quite young. Um, it was. How it old was, was you at this point? Was you 20? 20, 20, yeah. 20, 20, I was just 21 right. at this point. Yeah. Just. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I can remember feeling it was all a little, um, all quite daunting, knowing that I wanted a career, but then thinking, well, I'm not quite sure how, how I'm going to get out of this. Mm. Um, but I've always been quite optimistic. And I just thought, well, just do what you've done so far, which is just carry on working hard and, and just see what happens. So yeah, um, yeah and Ollie was born um, in April 92. Um, I'm just 21. Yeah. And actually i was i was still temping at food from britain and i actually i actually had two weeks um off before i planned to have two weeks off that's right i planned to have two weeks off and then he came two weeks early so i actually had i think one day off of actual actual rest yeah um but they they was quite they was quite good with me and i went back there to, straight straight after um so so did went, you 
So, so just sorry to find. So, so just so I understand. So, so did you get married then while she was pregnant? I did. Yeah. In the December. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So literally, I was pregnant. I mean, I was planning to get married anyway. Did you, ever, did you get the... married with a broken foot then? Yes, I did. Yeah. 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 I'm trying yeah. to work out time. So yeah, yeah I did. Yeah, I got married with a broken foot. I mean, it's you know all of those things. You just think, oh, it's just. I look at the photos, and I've got my let one one leg pulled behind behind the other, where I'm trying to hide, <laughs> where I'm trying to hide it. Plus being pregnant, and you know, and I'm 21. I'm like, this is all too much. Yeah, um, of course. So it was, you know, it, it. I went back to work at three months, and that when he was three months, and that was really really hard because by this time I was a bit like, oh, you know. When I think back now, you know, and I, I think it's right. You know, I'm really delighted that everybody has great maternity and paternity benefits. And I think, oh, I just wish that I'd had that. Yeah. I wish that I could have had that year. Um, yeah, cool. So that's really hard to go back after three months because... It was really tough. You know, our baby's coming up six weeks and I can't imagine you know, Jordan ever being in a position in, in another six weeks time to go back to work. That's, that's tough. So, so, um, so what about your, your husband then? So what was the situation? Yeah. So, so um, it wasn't that he had a well enough job paying job where he, you yeah. could, you could be off and, and was he quite young as well? No, he was five years older than me. So he right. was 26 when we yeah. had Ollie. Um, we'd been, you know, we'd been together from through teens on and off, you know, we'd had, a, you know, um, and he didn't, he didn't have a bad job, but we couldn't afford, we couldn't have afforded um, just to live on his money. Um, you know, he was self-employed as well. So, you know, there, it was, it was difficult. I just didn't have any choice. We needed, we needed a second income. So we, I didn't, I had to go back to work. Yeah. Um, and so where did Ollie go while she was working then? Yeah, I was quite lucky there. So he, I mean, I actually managed to come to an agreement, um, which was actually groundbreaking at the time because there wasn't really flexible working. I actually said, like, I need to come back to work, but I can't, I can't come back to work full time. Um, but I can't afford to only come back a couple of days a week because of my train fare. So we come to this agreement where I'd work Thursday, Friday, one week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, the next, so that I could buy a weekly ticket. So it was almost like a week on, a week off. Get you. Um, so I sort of worked two full weeks of the month um, oh. and that actually worked really well. So my my mother used to have him um, two days and then uh, my husband's mother would have him three days and then they would alternate it. So he was only ever with his grandparents. So, I mean, yeah. I couldn't have I couldn't have done it any other way. Yeah. Um, and, and that worked. But I mean, it was it was difficult. You know, it was a, it was really challenging for a number of reasons. So it wouldn't surprise you for me to tell you that the marriage didn't didn't work out, you know, quite as you know, it, it broke down really quickly. Right. OK. Um, again, and it was all of those things happening. And when I think back, I think, you know. So how long was this into after Ollie was born? Or how old was you when when you broke nine up? Months. We oh, broke really? up at, yeah, we broke up at, when he was nine months old. Yeah. Wow. So, so what? Twenty-two now? Yeah, just coming up. Yeah, just coming up. Well, I just gone past my twenty-second birthday when I moved back home to my parents with with Ollie, sure. uh, and he was nine months old. Just coming up for ten months. Wow. Wow. So, so you know, twenty-two, yeah. baby, married, divorced, single mum yeah. now. Yeah. Um, but trying to fight to to make uh, still a career, but but even but, more but important. Ultimately- 
even yeah. more important though, Jack, it was even more important to me then because then I felt completely responsible um, for this child. And I, you know, I really wanted to, you know, I, I can remember. Can having... I just ask a question? Did you feel that you had something to prove at that point? Because there's so many women that, you know, 22, single mum, you know, a lot of people would have written you off, right? 100%. Did you get that that bit between your teeth at that point and go, I'm not being a statistic here, I'm not being one of the, I'm not being, you know what I mean? Yeah, and I actually remember having that conversation. I remember talking to people and saying, I am not going to be a statistic. I am not right. going to be, you know, I am not a, a statistic, you know, just because I'm a single mum, I'm a working mum and I'm going to work and I am going to do well. So exactly, exactly what you said, you know, um, I was, I just knew that I had to work hard and strive to do better, not just for me, but for Ollie. And I'd wanted him to see that, you know, I, he could have a strong female influence in his life. So absolutely, that is definitely you know, I did feel that I had a lot to prove and I did feel that I'd have to work harder to prove that. And actually, it, I, I saw that very quickly um, in, in that job. So um, I went back to work at Food from Britain as a temp yeah. and they quickly, they quickly offered me a job. And it was doing something that I hadn't done before. And then this is where I could see that I was capable and not of being more than a PA, but I could see how the skills could be transferable. So, you know, we're talking about organisational skills here. Um, I'm very proactive, always have been, um, you know, and you could see how those skills could transfer. And I actually um, got a job with them as an exhibitions assistant. And this was organising international food exhibitions, which would mean that I would need to take some European travel um, and, and work away um, on occasion. So, you know, I went, I went back and um, I, I took this job and it, it was it was great for probably for another another year. You know, I traveled all over Europe. I worked in Amsterdam, in Paris, yeah. in Germany at these at these food exhibitions. And it was great. It was great for me. I could yeah. see, you know, and I was starting to get a bit of feedback on my capabilities and things like that, which was which was good. Um but yeah, in terms it, of compliments from from your boss. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're doing a good job. You've got skills next one Z. Exactly. And, yeah. and I could see I was build doing well. Yeah, build self-esteem, yeah. build confidence. Yeah, I could I was starting to do well. But um Ollie was getting a bit older. You know, some of the times that I was away and he stayed with his dad or my parents or his grandparents. And I think it's so different now. Like, you know, with um you know, with all these blended families, with split families, and you know, there's like, um, you know, shared shared parenting. Like Ollie, I mean, it was very old-fashioned in those days. He used to go, he didn't go to his dad's in the week in the week for dinner. Like it wasn't like shared parental care or anything like that. It was it was literally me. He used to go to, and he was he had a very good dad, and his dad has been really supportive, and he's been a great dad. And we're you know we still get on well now, but he'd have him one night every other weekend that was the you know just the way it was right it, it was just the way it was yeah, um, my mum and dad it, split up when I was two and it was it was that or less to be honest yes. it was that it, or less um, um and there would be times where I wouldn't stay around for a, probably a month um so so yeah completely completely um do you think that because you were a working mum and the tradition was that Mum should be at home with their children and being mothers, not working. Yeah. Do you, do you think that that you were perhaps looked down on a little bit because of that? 
Well, I had some problems with my own mother about it. Really? You know, we, you know, we used to, you know, go to toe to toe quite a bit on it. You know, um, Ollie's young. You know, you really should be at home. He needs you. And um, at this at this point, I was starting to see the struggle because, you know, going away, I was coming back. I could see that he was he was really missing me, and um, it was it was it was a struggle. And I thought, you know what, I can't I can't actually continue to do continue doing this mm. I felt and it's that all or nothing isn't it you know I'm not very good at doing two things mediocre yeah it's, neither <laughs> you know I'm a bit all, all or nothing I have to do something 100% or I don't feel it's worth doing at all mm. uh, I've learned a lot about myself actually in the last 10 years where I've given myself quite a bit of slack on that now so I'm not quite there where I was then but I did really beat myself up about that and I had met somebody new and I felt that I had an opportunity to set, settle down with somebody yeah. so I thought oh okay then maybe I should you know give up a little bit of working and you know I was struggling with the um, all or nothing and concentrate on Ollie um, a bit more and then and then see where that see where that takes me and um, I resigned from that job this by now we're talking 1997 so Ollie was just you know just started school yeah um, and um, yeah and I, I I gave up the career in London and thought right well I'm going to concentrate on Ollie now for the next few years didn't know what I was going to do. I remember feeling completely upset and shattered about it, but I knew it was the right thing to do that I knew that, you know, I needed to be the one taking him to school and picking him up. It felt like the right thing to do, but I knew that I still needed to work. Um, so yeah, I didn't know what I was going to do. And, and at this point, was you still living at your parents or do you moved out and got your own place and so yeah, on? Yeah, I'd, 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 by this time, um, I'd got um, a flat. I was given a flat. And I'd moved out with him. So I'd been out of back from home for about a year. Mm. Um, so, yeah, we was, we'd been on our own, living away from my mum and dad's for about, probably getting on for two years. And I'd met somebody new. Um, and we was looking um, to move in together. Um, so, that's, so that's what we did. Um, and like I say, I, I gave up that job in London. And I was like, well, I need to get a part-time job um, locally. I need to work. And it was, you know, trying to find out what that what that yeah. job was, and you know, what was I going to go back? I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going back to starting again because ultimately, um, what what I've got is some um, secretarial skills. You know, I can I can go back and, and be a PA. And I actually applied for a job at the uh, Medway Local Authority. It was a new, unitary authority. It had just um, split from Kent County Council. Um, and it was just it had just um, come to fruition and it was a new uh, local authority and they had lots of jobs and recruitment. Mm. Um, and this is this is how it all all started. So I actually um, managed to get a job in the uh, education department at the local authority um, in a team in the IT team um, as as an admin PA. And it was at the time when um, something was creating created called the national national grid for learning yeah um and it was a program that had been created for teachers and um, basically it's digital strategy for teachers because you know it was coming into schools um you know they had the old bbc computers and more and more it was coming into education and it was basically around digital skills for teachers yeah um and um yeah i just found myself back in like moving moving towards working in IT 
Um, and I worked in that team. I worked part time. So I used to take Ollie to school in the morning. I used to work 9.30 till 3, I think. I used to leave, leave there and then, and then go and pick him up. Yeah. But it wasn't term time only in those days. It was full time. Right. I used to get four weeks annual leave. So school holidays were a real challenge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 13 weeks in the school holidays, isn't there? 13 weeks, yeah. yeah. So it was a real challenge. So I used to, you know, have to get, you know, look for people to look after him. Actually, you know, I used to, one of my, my best friends from growing up, she used to look after him for me sometimes so that I could go to work. But it, it, it was Did it, it ever was create problems in terms of like where you couldn't get babysitters or you couldn't get, uh, or say he was ill or something like that? Did you ever... Because thing, because you know, even still back then, you know, it's, you know, so for example, if one of my team their child was ill, it's fine. They've got a laptop; they can work from home, yeah. and yeah, and and there's workaways around it. Or if in fact they're ill, they're ill, and that's fine. Yeah, you know? yeah. But back then, it wasn't as 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 you know. It, as, it, as it wasn't. Of, yeah. It wasn't. And we're talking about late nineties here. To, um, actually, coming into like ninety nine, two thousand, and it really wasn't. You know. Um, they was they was quite flexible about um, if he was sick, yeah. you know, um, they would be, you know, but you'd feel guilty. You'd still feel guilty about it and feel that you needed to make the time up. But generally, if there was something, if there was a problem, you need to take it, take it as annual leave. There was no flexibility. If you couldn't go in um, for whatever reason, you used to have to book it off as leave. And it's, it, you know, again, I come back to, um, I'm so pleased that things have changed because, but it was really tough. You, you. It was all the um, the challenge was all your challenge, and you wasn't going to get a lot of help from your employer for that. It's not like it is now. Mm. There's a, you know, and I do try to be as flexible as I can with my own with my own team for that reason because I've lived through it, and I don't want, I wouldn't want anybody to go th- to go through what a struggle and how yeah. hard it felt sometimes. Yeah. Well, I I I, I get it where. You know, whether it's you know people in my team that have children, and oh, I feel I feel guilty, or I feel like I'm taking the, the mick. Yeah, I don't feel like that. No, it's fine. You know, yeah. it's, 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 it's life. Honestly, yeah, exactly. You know, let's lead with empathy. Let's lead with understanding. Yeah. Um, and you know, I've had other team members that don't that. You know, she had problems with like tonsillitis, but it kept reoccurring. Yeah. yeah. She's calling me like crying because she's had to take another day of sick, and she's like. I'm like, don't, don't get upset, but you're ill. You cannot yeah. help that. You know, you being yeah. upset and stressed about you being ill is not going to make you better quicker. It's going to do no. the opposite. Yeah. Um, and so uh, I don't know why, but but there has been a shift um, in people's kind of the way that people lead now with empathy rather than with the stick, right? Yeah. Um, and it was, and it was challenge. It was challenging. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm pleased that because it, you know, it just, it just meant that there was just even more pressure yeah. on you. You know, mm-hmm. it's already difficult this, you know, and it, it was never, it was never easy. I never, um, you know, and it, at, at times like, it felt, it felt quite dark, although um, I was always striving, I was always working hard and I wanted to do the best by Ollie. It, it was, you know, it was tough. It wasn't, yeah. it wasn't. Did you ever, str- did you ever struggle? Because obviously mental health wasn't a thing back then. No. Like <laughs> no. Did you, did you think you ever struggled with any, any kind of anxieties or, or, or just, just struggling to, to um, cope with, with the pressures that presented yeah. itself at that time? 
Um, not not consciously. Yeah. Um, you know, I am. You know, I don't. I've never been. I've never really suffered with um, depression, or I never felt felt that I'm or I'm really down, or you know. So I can't. I can't put myself in the in the position where no. I did that. In terms of anxiety, I think I probably I probably were, was very anxious, but yeah. you, you, I think I've built all of these strategies around me, um, like coping strategies, because there wasn't anyone to go for support. So you did build a lot lot of internal resilience, because you you know nobody was going to do it for you. Then I do think that anxiety did play a part in a lot of uh, uh, you know I felt that anxiety a lot. Um, probably because of the pressure that I had around like lots of compete, you know, lots of complete competing issues really. Mm. Um, but I did build, I know that I built lots of coping mechanism, yeah. um, but it just made me more organized. It, you know, I have developed some quite, you know, my son and my partner will definitely tell you that I'm OCD. You know, I am quite, I, ha- I am quite particular about things, but I think they were my, coping mechanisms i think it just yeah. meant that i was more organized that you know, probably, I, probably a control thing without even realizing it you were in control um, yes. um yeah and, and and you probably didn't see it that way but but if there was anything that you could have at least you had control of yourself right exactly and yeah. that's and that's probably right so i think that probably yes but i do think that it in in a lot of in a lot of ways it built so much resilience within me which has obviously served me well Mm-hmm. Um, in the last 15 years when things have been challenging and you know as I as I have developed my career um, yeah. I've I've needed that resilience sure so talk to me so talk me through then so so PA within the yeah. IT team of yeah. this kind of educational division um, of the council the local, of the local authority mm-hmm. um, so so when did you trans um, transcend into then a uh, uh, I assume was it probably like a help desk or a or a technical analyst type role was your first role? Was it was that was that kind of was it yeah? That so route? at the same time as, as this was happening, um, as I say, uh, tech tech was building in schools, and actually schools started to recruit IT technicians. This was this was a new thing that actually they needed IT support in schools, and um, if you look back twenty years ago when they were when this happened. Um, a lot of the people that took these roles were often um, parent helpers, um, people like that who were in school doing a role and they didn't really know who to give these these IT technician job to. Um, and they started advertising them. And I, because I was at the council, obviously you get the um, school's um, uh, job, job lists, mm. as it were. And um, I saw this IT technician job advertised and I knew that I wanted to get into IT and I just thought, I've just got, I've just got to apply for it. You know, I don't, I don't have any concrete um, exams or anything to say that I can do it, but I just know that I can do this. I've got an aptitude. I've, I now know that I'm very logical in the way that I do things. And this is, this, this could be yep. the start of this IT career that I really aspire to um so i applied for it um found out that somebody who was working with an admin as well at the council had also applied for it so we was we was talking about it um yep uh, interviewed got got through to uh, to interview interviewed for it thought that i'd done terribly um this is this is um evident in my personality that you know i i really do give myself quite a hard time 
about stuff thought I'd done terribly and didn't get it as I come back I remember walking across the car park and bumping into the girl that had also been for it and she was like oh how did it go and I was like oh terribly and she went oh it went our oh, mine went really really well like they asked me this they asked me that and I, I was oh my god I definitely haven't got this job yeah I got home and then got a phone call to then they offered me the job um so I did get the job oh good for you and that was yeah. and that was the first first kind of IT technician in a primary school. Um, it was a large primary school. Um, in today's terms, it would be deemed as a, 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 a small secondary in effect. How many formentary was it? How many? How many um, well, it was split. It was split year groups as well. And there was a um, a, a unit um, for autism that was attached to the school, so it was off site. Right. So they used to integrate. Um, the autistic pupils into the into the mainstream school as well so at different times you know it's about 600 pupils so it was yeah. all key it was all key stages um, when I arrived you used to have um, an IT coordinator so there's a key key stage one IT coordinator and a key stage two IT coordinator I just I remember walking in there and thinking like one computer room like not knowing anything I, I didn't know where to start so instantly my organizational skills just kicked in there was the filing cabinet in the room a, um, a, an ex-parent had been doing the job they had a book where they used to write down all the issues in so it was just like all the teachers would just write their technical issues in a book and then the technician would come in and go through the list and tick off the list of the jobs so my organizational skills just kicked in I opened up the filing cabinet and I found some well, I thought, what are these? And they were actually temperature sensors that connected to the computer um, that were for science. So you could, could integrate the IT with the science lessons. Oh, right, okay. And I thought, oh, this is what interesting. What year was this? Um, 2001. Right, that's quite cutting edge, isn't it? Well, I, th- I thought it was, but it, I don't, I'm not sure. No, I perhaps mean, not now, but back then. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I suppose, yes, it did feel like it, but... Anyway, I spoke to the IT coordinator. I said, you know, like, what are, you know, what is this? And she said, you know, well, we've got this program. It's an RM program. And, you know, we, we, we've never been able to get them to work. So that was it. Red rag to a boss. Like, that is one thing that I will do. I will solve a problem. I will yeah. not let anything beat me. <laughs> so, yeah. So I sat there with this thing. I was like, um, remember, this is still the days of dial-up internet. Believe it or not, you know, this is still... We well, I just, know, well, I know because... Um, so all around this time, so I'm pretty much similar age to your son. He's about, so I'm November. So what, he's seven months older than me. Yeah. Um. So so I'm just thinking, like when you said about, you know, tech was coming to school. I remember we had a we had a computer room in our primary school that was basically yeah. we we had two assembly halls. So we had one yeah. like a junior and um what was it called a junior and uh, uh primary uh primary, infant, infant. infant and junior school was yeah that, wasn't it yeah so yeah. We, there was an in, infant uh, hall and there was a, a, a junior hall um, for yeah. Yeah, receptions year two, I think it was, or year three, mm-hmm. and then year four to year six, or year mm-hmm. seven, actually, back then. Um, and in the middle of of them was, like, the kitchen that served both halls. So, yeah. um, But what had happened is it was around the time that, um, like, the, the hot school meals had stopped, and it was, like, where people then brought in either their own packed lunches... Yeah. Or the, it the got reheated was, and brought in from another kitchen, yeah, didn't it? it was, yeah. So, but but the, basically, the kitchen had been then turned into the I think they called it the ITC suite. Was that's was, it? IT there. suite. Yep. That's yeah. It. The ITC suite. And um, and I remember just I, I I still remember the smell of it. Now talking about it. you know when you remember yeah. the smells when you think it's brilliant, I, isn't it? Yeah. So I still remember the smell of the the freshness of the room. 
Yeah. But I just remember it almost like a like an like a, a horseshoe, but like a, a squared horseshoe. Exactly the same because yeah. those rooms weren't meant to have like computers in, so yeah. they was furnished however would work. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, so that's how it's set up. But I remember the stuff that we had. I don't know if you remember, but do you remember the robots that you could? I mean, we didn't realize, but you could you you was coding them basically. It's programming. You used to have yeah. a little little buffer box, yeah. like an input box, and you'd yeah. have um, control in, control yeah. out, yeah. and then basically you used to we used um, doing things like uh, traffic light sequences. So we yeah. used to I used to go into the lessons with the key stage two pupils, and they're basically doing programming, which is just programming a set of traffic lights. Yeah. Stop. Go. Pause. Yeah. Go right, go left, or yeah, whatever. exactly. Yeah, yeah, so I remember. So that's the that, so all of what you. I'm getting, you know, yeah, take me back to where I've not even thought. <laughs> of um, but so all of this stuff that you're talking about that you supported and stuff, and that's why yeah. I said, well, that's quite revolutionary because we didn't have any science that linked into the computer. No. Um, but- so it was that it was that kind of tech that we played on, and then you had like your paints and and that's yeah, kind of what it is that's right so, so what I, I assume you were supporting things like that but then also like the registration systems and that kind of stuff yeah I mean it was it was um not so much then I mean the the MIS systems in the school were supported they used to be and they still exist actually education IT service which is in Kent okay um and the um the ladies in the office they used to get by support from from elsewhere so I used to do a little bit of support for the MIS but it was mainly around the curriculum it was it was very you know curriculum support IT curriculum support focused um but I just I just picked it up and I I think I'd been there six months and I remember having a conversation with the key stage two um, ICT coordinator who was pregnant and um going on maternity leave and so was the key stage one and she and she was like I don't think we're going to um, get an ICT coordinator in to do maternity cover. We think you can do it. So, you know, really quickly. And, and then all of a sudden, I'm, I'm realising that I'm at home working on an assessment module for IT lessons. So I was doing the planning. I was literally delivering the planning for their IT lessons. Right. And um, one of the teachers in Key Stage 2, her, her um, specialism with art. She hated IT. So she used to say to me, can you take my IT lesson for me? So I, used to, I was taking the lessons. And then it was, you know, everything was kicking off. So um, computer club for girls, there was something, I read something online about a computer club for girls. And I was like, I want, I want to, I want to run a yeah. computer club for girls. Yeah. And it was, you know, you, you signed up and they delivered you with a bo- big box of resources and I had 16 girls after school come into my computer club for girls and we would go through, they would give you the lesson plan and a little module and they was doing things like, actually now I'm st- I've bumped into a few of those girls and I'm actually actually friends with them, girls that came, went to the school yeah. like 20 years ago that were my sons that went to secondary school with my son and I'm still friends with them and they talk about the computer club, club, club for girls that I used to run. It, it was brilliant, absolutely brilliant. But again, it was that was then, you know, 19 years ago now, probably, mm. probably, probably about 18 years ago, and there was all of these new initiatives. And I, I don't know, I just felt compelled to, you know, do what I could. I was yeah, going because because women in tech probably weren't really a thing back then in terms of no. a drive to promote women in tech, or even actually, in fact that many women in tech anyway. Um, 
So but I didn't know that at that cool. point that I was in tech. I was in, you know, I was working in a school in education with an um, affinity with IT and that I could see I could build a career from mm. it. Yeah. You know, that's that's all that's I can remember that's how I felt. We was part of an education action zone. So it was an inner city school. And there was all of these initiatives at that time where there was lots of different funding streams and was part of an education action zone. So we had lots of money. And a couple of those, the initiatives from from the Education Action Zone were gifted and talented summer schools. And they actually asked me if I would do a uh, gifted and talented uh, Easter school. Mm. Uh, And it would be, it wasn't just pupils from our school. They would send pupils from all of the schools in this Education Action Zone. So I created a business case for to to deliver a um, IT Easter school in game making. And I did. I didn't know anything, you know, I was like, okay, let's just have a look on the internet. And I found this program called Game Maker. I practiced it for a couple of weeks. It's like a multi-level game. So basically it was a platform and you just... um, And you build a storyline to it almost. Yeah, well, it's just like, it was just a multi-level game. So you just basically had a program that any you could make any game that you wanted, like a multi-level platform game, any game that you wanted. So I created this business case. Um, I sent it to the Education Action Zone. They approved it. And by this time, Ollie's getting a bit older. So he's, a, you know, he's in year nine or whatever. So yeah. I'm thinking, well, I'm only working the school hours, but I can start taking on a little bit more, a few more hours. So an Easter school was perfect for me. They was going to pay me for it. And I had um, 32 children across two weeks. And I taught them how to create multi-level computer games with this program awesome awesome amazing amazing so so let's um let's kind of fast forward a bit so so you know you went from 2000 ish um 2001 was your first kind of role in in it and that was you know um tech analyst within the school but also then involved in the curriculum and and the delivery of um yeah yeah you froze um um so yeah, in terms of the curriculum and, and that input to it as well. So because um, I know that you work then for some you know quite large commercial companies as well. You work, for, haven't you, in RM Education and stuff. So yes. and they were more in service delivery management roles. Two thousand and tens, I want to say, if I remember. A bit earlier, so two thousand and seven. Um, two thousand and seven, okay. I left the school. Okay, same school for that seven year period. Yep. Yeah. And that's exactly, I said, I'm going to stay here to build, to learn as much as I can about IT, um, you know, and, you know, and I think that by then I actually had an RM network in the school. So I was already working with RM. I'd been on RM training courses and I was already aspiring at that point when I was in school to work for RM. I was like, I really want to work for RM. That's the company that I want to work for. They was the biggest education IT provider in the UK at the time. And it was fascinating what they was doing. And I was just, I I was just passionate about, about them as a company, as a company as well. Um, And I could see, so I just decided to stay there as long as I could to learn everything that I could. Um, And literally it happened like, as soon as Ollie had done his GCSEs, I was like, well, I did what I said I was going to do. I gave up work. I did it. I've been there. I've worked part time and now he's done his GCSEs and now it's me. I'm going to do my career. The one that I paused, but actually it wasn't a pausing of my career, was it? Because it was a development. It allowed me, gave me the basis and foundation to develop that career and get into a position that when I did feel comfortable in him having done his GCSEs and finishing school, that 
I could go back to work full time. And it's exactly what I did. And having worked with um, RM and ha have, having had a support contract with RM where they was giving me support, I was like, okay. And then I was understanding a little bit more around the bigger picture of IT, around service delivery. And I'm a very, very much people person. And I've always had um, quite a strong view of service and, you know, they how- can, They couldn't keep you locked in the cupboard, could they? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> no. And I already was thinking, you know, had a quite a strong customer centric mentality even then and about, you know, providing a good service to the customer. I mean, and I really, you know, was really, really punching, to be honest with you, around the jobs that I started to apply for. And I was reading Computer Weekly and I saw this job in Computer Weekly for a service delivery manager for um, a local authority, which was Tower Hamlets. And I thought I'll apply yeah. for it. And I just, I'll just see. And I applied. They contacted me. I had an interview. The day of the interview was an absolute disaster. It was a nightmare. I was Go going on. up. To, you got to tell I was the story. Going up to London, I was going up to London. Um, Didn't fall between a train again by any chance? Did you? Oh no! But it was to do with trains again. <laughs> <laughs> Stay off trains. Get buses. Mate. <laughs> and uh, there was a, a, a power failure. Uh, um, so I got chucked off the train and I, I was stuck at Dartford for quite a few hours and I was looking at my watch and I'm thinking I'm going to be late. I kept I kept calling them and saying, look, this is the situation. You know, th there's been a power failure. I don't know when I'm going to be able to get to you. And by, you know, it went on and on. And by this time, you know, um, I'm, I'm definitely late. And I, I phoned them at the last point and said, look, I really understand if you don't want to see me because I am so late, but I'm, I'm outside. And they was like, no, we'll still see you. And I was two hours late for the interview. Now, I know that if somebody turned up two hours late for an interview with me, I'd be a bit more, now I wouldn't, but I remember at the time thinking, oh God, would I offer the same, you know, be, mm. as, be as considerate. Yeah, and I, and I had the interview. Again, didn't really think that I stood much chance, but I thought, well, you know, this is all really good experience. Um, got the job. Um, it was a new service um, delivering uh, IT services to the schools in the London Borough of Tower Hamlets, mainly primary schools. There was a few secondary schools, but it was 88 schools. Had a technician service, so the schools bought into like a one day a week or a weekly technician service. And again, I was working with RM because we put um, we was implementing RM networks. In right, so, so based on their infrastructure, basically, yeah. Yeah, in the schools. And then and then um, I struck gold because um, I was at the local authority. I was in delivering an IT service and something came to fruition called Building Schools for the Future, which was a government initiative building new schools, which had um, two two elements that were built, built in, which was facilities management in schools, which was unheard of at the time, and IT services. So the contract of building the school you had to have the facilities management and you had to have the IT management as um, the IT service as well. And it was a different department at the uh, Tower Hamlets local authority, but they didn't have anybody um, that could advise on IT or had any idea of um, delivering IT in school. So I was um, seconded over into the um, buildings uh, department to work on IT, but in building schools for the future. And I just, it was just incredible. I just learned so much and I really, you know, really cut off of my career yeah. um, there. And um, 
yeah, it just that's where it really um really started to yeah. to happen. Um and I stayed there for a couple of years. I think that I w- went to work for at that point to were delivering the IT service into the building schools for the future schools. Um and I think I was a, I was a bit of a, a a pain in the butt for them because I was quite challenging on the contractual elements um, of yeah. the service where there was non-delivery. Well, um, in terms of you're giving, because you're you're basically the bridge between you I'm, know, the, I'm client. the client. I'm the client manager. Yeah, yeah I'm managing me. the client, which is the schools. And you're getting and, and you're getting no doubt you're getting um, crap from the schools basically because aren't delivering or, or, or was it a case that you weren't but you weren't going to allow yourself to get into that position yeah so I think that um I, I mean the first thing I did was I read all of the contracts to major, make sure I understood what the contracts and what the delivery was so um, I've always been again another brilliant skill that anybody should have critical questioning you know I've always always managed to use critical questioning so I really understood the contract I could see that the schools weren't getting the best deal so basically I was I was you know they I was on their side and they could see that I was fighting for them to get the best possible service, the best delivery, the best implementation in their schools. So I built such a strong affinity um, and trust. Um, And again, that has really served me well Mm. um, that I built this, you know, this integrity, right. You know, the, the the contract said it was X, Y, and Z should be delivered. And you were making sure that X, Y, and Z would, was being delivered exactly um and yeah so i was holding the, the you know the provider to account um i do think i was a pain in their butt and i did actually go to work for and it was probably one of you know this was a, a point where i sort of i hit, i hit a wall i was it was it you know you can't have i don't know but i i've it's not always been easy it hasn't always been plain sailing so you know we talk about the progression and it feels like, oh, you know, I've moved on quite quickly, but actually I, it wasn't, it wasn't a great experience. It didn't, it didn't go well. It wasn't what I expected it to be. And it was a bit of a low point. Again, I, I, I hit a bit of a low point after 10, 11 months of working there and realizing it wasn't working out. Um, it was a program management job. It wasn't service delivery. Um, right. I I'd, I'd developed some project management skills as well. So I think that maybe it wasn't quite, you know, they're definitely transferable skills, but I wasn't as passionate about that as I was in terms of the service delivery. Um, and um, I do think that it was a strategic move by them to get me out of the way. Not, not right. never had that conversation, but I, you know, but at the time I remember being, and this so was, is you, you, was you sacked from that job? for want of a better word no I wasn't I wasn't sacked right. no um it wasn't working out and we come to an arrangement for both right. of us right okay. I was, I, yeah it wasn't it wasn't, it wasn't that you they said right you know you've had nothing yeah. it, was, it was a case where you both said look we're not happy you're not happy yeah let's part ways thank you for it, like, it, nice exactly exactly and it was and it was really really tough and I was and I just thought how you know how did I how did I get here but I just you know, at points I felt, oh God, how am I going to bounce back from this? But then you just think, well, I've just got to get on because I just want to keep on moving. Um, I was out of work for a couple of months. I was applying for jobs and I saw a job for a service delivery manager at RM. I mean, I just couldn't believe it. Um, And I applied for the job at RM and I was successful. So I went from, you know, just being out of work for a couple of months to actually landing 
that dream drop that yeah. dream job that I'd been thinking about for so long um at RM and um it was BSF so it's building schools for the future so obviously you know that work in at Tower Hamlets on BSF it served me well because I knew I knew it inside out yeah, I knew the contracts inside out it was a new BSF contract in Essex. It was supposed to have been 42 schools, but by the time I'd been appointed at RM, the government um, the government had changed. So it had gone from Labour to Conservative and they, they just completely canned the whole programme immediately that, that the Conservatives got into power. This is right. when the academy um, the uh, strategy started to, uh, to come to fruition. Um, so it ended up just being four sample schools and then four other schools that were going to come into the program in yeah. Essex um, so actually I knew not long after I started that it wasn't going to be a, a the full you know the full job and the RM would need to find me something else to do yep but we implemented the new program and it was challenging I mean those schools were really really tough none of them wanted it and this was the, res the resistance that I was facing um None of the schools wanted these programs. It was being forced on them by local authorities, et cetera. They wasn't happy about it. So, you know, the suppliers were just hit with the resistance. And it was it was really tough. Um, it was quite a young team. Um, we was bringing all of the operation and the service delivery, implementing it from scratch. Like, mm. you know, RM were just finding their way in the BSF market as well. And they was learning quick. Um, but it was a fantastic place to work. Um, they're based in Oxford, so I was travelling down to Oxford fairly fairly regularly. Yeah. It just all felt absolutely brilliant to me. I was just so I was just happy. Like I'm in the career, I'm working for the for the company that I wanted to work for. I'm loving being in this space. I'm I'm progressing through my career. Um, it was just a brilliant time. Good, good, good. So so let's fast forward then. So um you you then um obviously eventually got back into working on, on, on kind of client site now. Um, and, and let's fast forward to, to, to your role at ARC. Um, so did you go in as head of IT or did, did you progress into that role? Yeah. So, um, so you're right. I have gone. So I think this is really important. I particularly in the role that I have is that, you know, I started, uh, um, Tower Hamlets de delivering services client side. Then obviously I went to work for delivering to the client so in the commercial side and I actually could see the challenges from both sides so it puts you into a different mental space mm. um, it, it built my emotional intelligence quite considerably because you can see well I can see what they're why they would do it that way and you can see how the client would want it this way so very quickly mm. I worked out a position of um, you know how you can how you can do well for both sides I remember being um in uh, just to go back just when I was in delivering to Newham and the schools were really unhappy with RM as a as a managed service provider they used to come to me and say things like oh we need this software packaging done and RM want to charge us 600 pound because that's what it said in the contract and this is where um, people were really unhappy and I'd say mm, yeah that doesn't feel very good does it that doesn't feel right so you could you might need that software but that school down the road might need it so it was a reverse psychology situation. So I said to RM, I've got a good idea. Like we will get it packaged and then we'll sell it to all of the schools. They'll want more of that and they'll think that they're getting a better deal because just divided by all of the schools, it's only a hundred pounds that they're paying for it. And we, we was making three times as much on the software packaging mm. um, on the upsell 
Yeah. Because it was reversed, but the school, it was just built about around resistance. So this was where my um, relationship skills um, really come in, in into play. Um, so yeah, carried on with the service. And when I started at ARC, um, I actually started as IT services manager. Um, so it's a bit of a story. Um, ARC had, um, I was actually working at RM when um, ARC went out for a managed, a full IT managed service. And I think- um, What, I was tender told, for it? Ten, to tender for it, yeah. Right. For that, So ARC wanted a full uh, managed service for all of their schools. Yeah. They'd grown considerably. And um, they had an internal IT team. Um, they had an IT director who said that this needs to be managed service now to get economies of scale because there were so many schools. So they'd gone out to tender. I think RM was down to the last two um, with who were the who were the incumbent IT services provider. Um, and so I knew I knew about ARC. So I, I was appointed as IT services manager. There had been no IT team there for about 18 months. So they had they had procured the service through um, and there, there, there were challenges in the relationship. It wasn't going very well, but ARC had, ARC had um, tupied anyone that was in an IT role in, in all of the schools and centre over to as part of the managed service con services contracts. There was nobody. Um, they had a new CFO starting at ARC and I think he, I remember him saying to me that he went to a, a principal's meeting and he was practically lynched about the IT service. It was like, it was not in a good place. Um, and he quickly realised that they needed to do something. It was a five-year contract with a three um, plus two. Yeah. And, and we was already started, they was already into the second year. And they knew that, you know, by year three, they needed to decide what they was going to do, whether to continue or rip it up and start again. Yeah. Um, so he said he realised that he needed to establish an internal IT team. Um, so he um, created a small structure for an IT team to uh, come into ARC again, to have a look at the um, incumbents um, as a services provider and just try and work through the school issues and, and get it to work ultimately, whether it was them or it was something else, but it just needed to work because it had been, one thing wasn't working then they tried something yeah. else and that didn't work. They needed to find some stability of something yeah. that did work. Yeah. They needed somebody with experience. That's so they saying like delegation by advocation. It's almost- yeah. You know, um, right, that's not working. Let's just delegate it out to another company. Yeah. Um, all right, that's not working. We'll do that again. And, and yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think so, so many, so many yes, not just it, IT, but so many companies do that, don't they? You know, yeah, or, or, but it's, but people were weary, you know. Um, so um, I joined as IT services manager. Um, and it, it, I just, I mean, it was just, it was natural to me because it was schools, it was IT services. I knew um, I'd recent, not that long before, been for an interview for um, ops ops director role, which I wasn't successful in. Yeah. The person who did get that job, uh, Gillian McPherson, um, was the managed services director at RM, so she was my boss's boss. So I knew Gillian quite well. Um, the, the service delivery manager um, was a guy called uh, Stephen Lum. He was an ex colleague from RM as well, so I knew him quite well. So that I had, I knew the people. Um, I just hit the ground running. Um, it wasn't working. You know, some of the schools were not in a great place. I, I actually, I mean, I've, I've said this at ARC and I've, I've not been, you know, I've not been shy in coming forward in this. I think there was mistakes made on both sides. I don't think anybody 
nobody was to blame. It was just, you know, mistakes were made on both sides. Um, but it was apparent that it wasn't going to work. Um, that, that, you know, there was already too much bad blood. The schools did not have any trust in as a supplier. Um, the team had been, you know, like these are, I call them service weary. So the technicians in the schools, you, you imagine the, the, the scenario of um, them being a school that wasn't an art school. So then they join the mat to become an art school. So they're chupy from their existing school into arc. Yeah. And then they, they they would have come, they would have been in an arc role working for the school. And then the managed service um, was put in place and then they was chupied to yeah, yeah. Um, some of them had been in those roles and you know it wasn't they they was all sad, quite honestly. It they, you know, there was nobody. You know, um, there was no clear idea of what the strategies were. There was, you know, um, the, the people were not being invested in. Yeah. Um, from pillar to post, unsettling, new employers constantly, new cultures to deal with, new managers to deal with. Yeah, you know, yeah. and, 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 and was, none of it their choice. They haven't left. No, moved. Yeah. So they, they was really service weary. Um, and there were lots and lots of problems. So. Um, you know, there was a small team of us, uh, the CIO, myself, uh, head of infrastructure, Gareth, um, and a program manager. That was all of us at the centre. And we was basically had this huge task of deciding what to do. Um, and just with my experience, I've, I'd seen that, you know, schools don't want managed services. I'd worked for managed services. They don't want it. I believed in an IT service, a professional IT service. I'm a strong believer that, you know, whether it's, you know, you're working for schools or whatever, anything that you deliver should be professional. Yeah. So whilst I could see that um, an external service provider wasn't going to, I could see immediately that that wasn't going to work for ARC and for their schools. It just wasn't. Um, but at the same time, not wanting to bring it fully in-house because the team, they didn't have the technical expertise. You know, it was so much risk around mm. bringing it back in-house because you're just flip-flopping. You're just going from that, being one thing to the other so I could see that that wasn't going to work either and thinking well actually it needs to be a blend of the two um, it needs to be what I defined as the the hybrid service yeah. but this time I was IT services manager um, cut a long story short we decided that we would exit the contract at the three years with and that we would create something differently we knew that it needs to be proactive a good service is a proactive service um, and what did that mean around the people? What did the structure look like? I mean, there were so many things to do. Um, we gave notice to in the January and the new service, and I'll fill in all the gaps in a minute. Yeah. The new service went live to the schools in September of the same year. That's exiting a contract, going out on an OGU tender to recruit expert service partners that would sit behind ARC in delivering the service to the schools. Well, just from from a tech standpoint, what what it what basically the service because you need you need you know uh, a service desk software yeah. or you know whatever. Serv yeah, service desk. We need technical expertise because we knew we didn't have it. We had no strategy. Um, I mean, the schools um, the schools weren't sustainable in their IT. There'd been no investment in IT for ten years. Um, everything was was you know oh. I never seen anything like it I remember thinking my god it takes me back to working in Byron in the primary school like 15 years ago um there'd been so little investment and I think that 
were brought in to try and build that strategy and to build a refresh program but it, it just they just weren't close enough and the trust would never be there between an external service provider and and the schools um so, so we exited the contract we went out to OG tender for some expert service partners for networks for infrastructure support service desk we chupied all the people that work in back into arc in the july we chupied them back early because i knew that we'd need at least six six weeks my experience told me that when they had a bsf contract the contract went live on the 1st of September. They chupied the people that would be working on that service on the same day because of the legalities of contracts. It all happened on the same day. You get people turning up to working for a new provider, delivering a new service to a school. Yeah. It was an absolute disaster. Yeah, absolute disaster. They yeah. didn't know how to work any of the systems. They hadn't had the, you know, there was supposed to be some training built in, but they was obviously working for somebody else at the time. So it was, it was a challenge. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I made sure that they had six weeks of coexist. So they were still basically being paid by. Um, we was paying a contract, which is you know, but it was so important that we had those people on our side for at least six weeks before we went live, live with the service. And basically, I just spent six weeks with those people. We had training programs. We had getting ready for work. We had uh, service desk training. They knew all the systems and processes that would be in place for day one. I was absolutely adamant that on that first day of service, um, having learned from all the experience of hearing them say um, they didn't know what they was doing when they turned up, da, 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 all of those things that they didn't have before. I made sure that there was a process and a strategy and a training program for it all so that when they turned up for work on the 1st of September, when that new service started in those schools, they all knew exactly what they was doing yeah. and that's exactly what happened. Yeah. We had a cloud-based IT service desk. Um, all the schools, we'd met with every single school and told them exactly how the service was going to work. Um, as I say, it was like nine months of absolute grind. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and here we are. That was uh, we're we're just coming up to the end of the three years. That's so just under under three years ago. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And and since then, because I know that you've taught me through. Um, you know, you, you, when, when we met for the first time, you showed me all what, you know, how your service desk works and it is so, so impressive. And that's on XMA technology, isn't it? Yeah. Um, um, and uh, so, yeah, yeah, no, that's, um, and, and, and from there it's, and it, it, the, yeah, the service and the IT services. Yeah, I was IT services manager. Um, when we went live with the new service, by this time I, you know, as a team, um, we defined and um, built, you know, just completely designed a new service, of a completely new service model. It was a proactive. We had, I recruited 19 apprentices for that first day as well um, to go into our schools and undertake all of the proactive checks. So I was very, very much on a, this, I want this service to be a pro you, you, progressive you, service. Yeah. Uh, your apprentices, mm. they come from your schools, don't they? We have a couple that have come from our schools. Yeah. I mean, we ideally we did want them. Um, we knew that again. We'd went out. We went out to tender for a, a, an apprentice provider, um, and this was at the time that the apprentice strategy was coming into into play, and the apprenticeship levy was available. And again, you know, uh, Arc, we asked for can we have use the apprenticeship levy to recruit these apprentices? So the apprenticeship levy pays for the training. Um, and then um, the IT budget pays for their actual salary, you know, their salary. 
Um, so we recruited 19 apprentices. I got promoted to the um, head of school's IT service on the, uh, at the beginning of the new IT service. Um, I think that was testament to the work that, that, we'd, uh, that we'd done. Um, and it was, I mean, pretty much from, you know, in the first term, the performance data that we used to have from, and it wasn't accurate because the people in schools were not logging tickets. You all know this from my presentation at your, your, your previous event, but nobody was logging tickets. So there was no accurate data anyway, but the performance against the SLAs was, was shocking. You know, you're looking at 60% performance against target and, um, People really didn't understand the SLA, so that yeah. was something else that I did, was I trained all of the staff in what the SLAs uh, meant. Um, I had a few really, really good um, managers, like field support managers that I could really trust, that I, that I bought, that came on the journey with me. Um, and literally, like we had high aspirations. I've got really high aspirations, like my standards are high and I, I do move quickly. Um, I am a bit of a force to be reckoned with sometimes, but it's all about yeah, all for the know, greater good, right? And it's all it for, is. It's my yeah. passion, and I believe that the schools were bu buying this service and paying for it, so they deserve to get the best. And you know, by by the by the first Christmas, by early in the next year, we're hit, hitting ninety five percent of target. Customer satisfaction has gone through the roof. The only people that our schools deal with our ARC people because although we stupid we stupid them back yeah. they were we stupid them back as a central team and we sold it as a service so I did want it to be a professional service um but it's, it's like a little mini business within it is yeah it is it's a trade it's what I call a traded service so you'll see it everywhere you know that you know it is a professional service it just exists within our own organization um and it allows us to for them to hold us to account if we're yeah. not delivering yeah um yeah. I mean, there were so many benefits and I could talk, I can talk about it for days, as you know, because I'm extremely proud of you it. You can talk for, you can talk. <laughs> oh, <I've> never <laughs> <got that. laughs> um, But basically, I mean, I think nine months in, um, I didn't want to spook anybody. I could see that some of the people that are in the schools weren't the people that should be delivering a professional IT service, but I wanted them, I wanted to take them on the journey with me because I don't think anybody um, does go to work to do a bad job. Um, but you know, you, you give them the opportunity to start off with. And I, I think, think people doing bad jobs are people that are uninspired. Yes. Um, and so it's and your job as the leader to inspire them to do the, to do the good job. If you know, if they yeah. buy into the the cause and the why, um, no matter how say unmotivated the person might be, they're yep. bought in and, and understand the the collective vision. Then exactly and you know we did start with everybody that was you know in the civic or it service and you know we had um some really difficult um situations in challenges from schools so it service in certain places not being good enough and I, I was challenged at this point because i wanted consistency i didn't want disparity i didn't want this you know th this was one it service um and i didn't want it to be dependent upon the field field support manager that was delivering to a certain set of schools because we clustered it because there were mm. so many schools and I, I was really early on um, concerned that I was going to see a disparity dependent on a, on how good that field support manager was at doing their job and I felt that there was too much like there were seven of these people all, all reporting directly into me. Like five I, schools each or something like that. 
yeah about that some some more some less because yeah. it depends on the, some of the geographical locations it was a whole area so it would be right. only a few schools and I just knew that that wasn't I wasn't going to be able to do provide do the transformation piece that I needed to do with having to you know seven people um you know develop seven people really really quickly um it would have taken too long um so I did take a difficult decision to do a restructure within the first year um again for the good of everybody really um for the good of the schools for the good of the, uh, the majority of the staff yeah um and we did change the actual structure quite quickly I could have done that day one but I think I would have lost some good people that I didn't want to lose I wanted to bring a pe few people along so it did allow me to build some additional relationships with some good people and really get a feel for the ones that I could see were aspirational um, that had really competent that could you know really come on be part of my team and come on this journey with me um, and I changed the structure and um, around this time, um, the CIO uh, was leaving ARC. So, um, and obviously I was developing and doing this restructure, et cetera. Um, and I created two service delivery manager roles with team leaders across the clusters so that there was real, real um, depth quality in the service delivery that they could hold fewer team leaders to accounts. They'd have three or four team leaders reporting into them rather than all reporting up into me. Um, and that meant that I had two people who were on the same page as me, who was yeah. deliberate, had the same standards um, and the aptitude and ability. Um, so I both of them were recruited from internal from the previous field support, field service manager roles and was promoted. And we promoted the team leader roles all of those come from within as well so it was all promoted from um, people that were already in the service on in either a senior tech or an on-site tech role so they was all promoted so at the start of this at that time none of those people were ne necessarily the finished article um, but you know they're all they're all absolutely thriving now and we have a fully progressive model now when i created the restructure i wanted the um, structure to be you know I, th I thought often a lot about myself in jobs and how you know it happened to me at rm to a degree like what i call in dead man's shoes like where you want to progress but the person that's above you is in is somebody that's been there for a long time yeah got no intention of leaving doing a good job so there's no natural progression for you. And I call it dead man's shoes. There's no room for you to move. So the only thing you can do, you know, it's not that, you know, it wasn't necessarily talent strategies of, of um, you know, keeping people in organisations then. The only thing you could do is leave. And I didn't want to do that. I knew that we'd get so much value from investing in those people. And if they're happy, how happy is the service that they're going to deliver to the schools? And then the schools are happy. Um, I, you know, all of those things just, felt natural to me mm. so we created this structure where we had the apprentices then the apprentices could get promoted into an on-site role an on-site role could get promoted into a senior tech a senior tech into a team leader our team leader to service delivery manager fully progressive and actually in those first two years we promoted 10 of those um, apprentices into on-site roles yeah and it's been really really successful um, and they feel Amazing. invested in 
Um, and then at that time, um, the CIO was leaving and then Arc created a head of IT position and I was promoted into, so a bit of a long, long time to get there, Jack, sorry, but that's, <laughs> oh, that's how, I come, come, how I come to be the, um, the head of IT at Arc. So, so did you almost replace the CIO? Um, ish, yeah, ish, ish. Yeah. Yeah. So um, the CIO um, obviously managed the systems and data. So it was I, CIO was responsible for IT systems and data. So when the CIO left, they, they split us out. So they had me as head of IT and then Lauren Thorpe as head of systems and data. So it was split a little bit. Yeah. Um, and so, um, so yeah, I, it was almost that. But me and Lauren yeah. then worked very closely together. Yeah. But we, we two think. women leading the uh, the IT yeah, team, exactly, right? exactly. Yeah. That's why. Um, so you know, and 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 you know, I don't I don't mean to to kind of um, categorize or whatever. But there's no surprise. It's it's bloody good because you've got two women running it. Um, and, <laughs> Yay! Um, exactly. And and, I, and 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 I mean that in the sense that you know the organisational skills, especially when you've got a woman that's that you know that. They're scarier than men, you know. Um, oh, I've often been told I'm scary. I, I never, I never used to see it. I think it's the. Um, you always know where you stand with me. I mean, I'm always quite. I mean, um, I can be brutally honest sometimes, um, but it's not in a detriment. Yeah. It's not in a detrimental. No. It's a detrimental way because there's it's no just there's, fact. Yeah, <laughs> and also as well is sometimes there's just not. The time's not there to to, no. to sugarcoat and skate around no. stuff, you know. I I am very much the same where, you know, I say how it is. Um, and at least people then know where they stand, right? Yeah. Um and, and don't get me wrong, you know, I I I I am tactful and I am the things that you need to be, but yeah, I've but, learned to be much more tactful. Maybe, right. you know, 15 years ago I probably wasn't in, in the same way that I am I am now. Yeah. Um because people say things to you and you learn, you learn to adjust, don't you? And, and, and you develop, but you know, um, I, I, I think, you know, some, some people, um, intimidated, I don't know. I, 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 I've been told I come across as very confident, but I've never, I don't feel, feel that in myself. Um, I'm passionate. Do you suffer with imposter syndrome? Yes, massively. Really? Uh, yeah. Really, really. And I, again, I think it's from where I've come from, from, from my roots. And it's, it's, it has formed a lot of the conversations around my development in the, in the last two years. And part of me, you know, part of me presenting at your event were all part of my development to, to help with this imposter, to help with this imposter syndrome. Mm. Um, And, you know, I've never felt like my parents never made me feel that I wasn't capable of doing anything. They've always said that, you know, they knew that I was my own harshest critic. So I was always, they never gave me a hard time over anything because they knew that I would always give myself a harder time. Yeah. yeah. Um, I've never been intimidated and thought that I wasn't capable of doing something. I always felt that I was, but then I've always felt in this, in this bubble, something that I didn't talk about. But when I went, was working at the, um, food from Britain and when I actually got that job um, as the exhibitions assistant somebody that was in that job before me had been to university and I'd worked at the organization for about three years before I was even considered for that job and I remember thinking back I remember thinking at that time if I'd have gone to university I could have walked into this job but I've had to spend three years 
proving myself that I'm capable of doing it. And yeah. I felt that I did a better job than the person that had been yeah. to university. And I think that's really, you know, it's really mm. important. Yeah. See, see, my, I don't know, perhaps it's just because I was so not academic and I'm not academic. Yeah. And, and I don't know if it's a case where, you know, I think, I think you learn once you leave education. Um, yeah. Um, totally um, you don't it's not a school like you know it's brilliant and I I you know I really on on page with the, the with the ethos um at ARC um you know that every, every child regardless of their background deserves a great education but it's the real choices in life that really means something to me because you know and I had this discussion with Lucy our CEO um not long after I joined ARC because it was to go on to the university of their choice and I said but not everybody can or will want to go on to university but it's about it's about the, that you are able to create your own destiny and have the career of your choice you know when I probably did leave school and I went to be a PA I probably didn't think then that I could I would have this career mm. but within a few years of leaving school I knew that I could be I could do well and you, that I wanted to do well yeah um are you proud of yourself very much so now yeah. yeah very much so good it's, yeah I think um I am and I you know and it's you know I could be a bit but you know it hasn't you know like you said we've talked about you know the journey of being a single mum and in those days it wasn't easy and I remember when I was promoted to the head of IT at ARC, I did have that moment where I felt this this is what I've worked I felt that sense of achievement and I thought oh is it going to change my view because I've actually reached the point of where I wanted to get does that make sense is yeah, it yeah. am I am I still going to have aspirations to do well, to do well, more well what, what are your aspirations then what, what because um, I know because I know for a fact that now you've got there there's something new yeah, I mean, obviously, I'm. I am still very ambitious. I think that I did worry about, you know, how would I feel? You know, would all my passions suddenly deflate? That everything has been working for this. I'm going to be the head of IT, and now I've got there. Is it all going to suddenly dissipate? And I'm going to think, oh no, this. Like, I don't want to do it anymore. I want to go I've, and. Yeah, I've, I think I just go and, that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and it didn't. It just made me. Um, I just had further aspiration aspirations to do to do more. And actually, what I feel, obviously, I mean, there's lots of opportunities. Um, you know, I've met some brilliant people through um, one of your events. And, you know, I'm helping out, I'm going to be helping out another multi-academy trust. So it's not, I might, you know, um, to provide in um, advice, expertise and leadership at ARC that I can help others. And I think that's now um, that we've proven something works here with ARC you know, mm. the IT service has been a huge success we've delivered lots of projects we've got sustainable schools in terms of IT you know 10, 10 year refresh plans etc that's in a really good place so I can if I can do it here why can't ARC is here for the system you know what about what have we got that we can offer to other small mats to other small independent schools you know I'd really like to take that IT service um, that model that really works um and help commercialize help it help yeah. yeah but you know not for profit Definitely yeah 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 of course yeah of course course but yeah but, 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 but as in as in as a provide that a commercial arm for for yeah. others through art I, th I think there's something very different between a commercial organization providing a managed service for a, for a small school compared to having the trust of a 
somebody that's one of your peers, another multi-academy trust doing it for you, knowing that it isn't for profit, that it is, you know, it is just about providing this good service um, yeah. for others. Can tell you're passionate about it. Can tell you're passionate about it. Amazing, amazing. Well, it's been a pleasure to get to know your story. Um, I, I had other questions, but I think we've covered so much in your story. <laughs> that, but but you but you but you you know you demonstrated you know good leadership and tough calls and doing the right thing for the sake of the right thing and restructuring and, and all that kind of stuff. And you've you know I was gonna I was gonna ask what you've you know some of your proud moments, but it's clear you know what what you've done with art. You've turned that that failing IT. De- department um or or or, or alongside the team I couldn't have done it I couldn't have done it by myself and I I have to say that I've got you know some really you know I can come up with some ideas and I think oh you know I'd really like to be able to do this and I you know and that is that is about having the right people around you as well and that is really important um you know leadership you know and the head of IT it can be a lonely place um and you know your team around you um, to help bring some of that to fruition and, and all of them have had you know have, have absolutely astounded me like you know the things that they bring bring to me um, in terms of well we could do this and you know we we don't stand still we're always we have that, that continual so you know continual service improvement mentality um, and it's on the other side as well the projects that we've delivered embedding you know making sure that everything's embedded so um yeah I am incredibly I am proud of it I think that they're it is, it is, ARC is my proudest um, moment. I've had quite a lot of career defining moments. I've had some knocks as well. It ha- as I said, it hasn't all been plain sailing. Mm. Um, so, but, you know. Well, I think, I think, I think, and, and I said earlier on in this that, you know, you, you are an inspiration to, to women and particularly women in technology. And I think that, you know, to kind of summarize why I think that, um, for a few reasons, right? You, you, had children young, and I think that um, a lot of ladies can be written off um, yep. um, in that. And and you know, you went back to. I didn't realize you went back to work as, as early as you did. Um, yep. You went back to work, and you made it work, and you and you done what's right for you. And and um, you know, there's no surprise. You're so passionate. You got so so much enthusiasm for what you do, and you can see that in the way that you speak about it. Um, so, so I think I think that your journey's just been incredible, um, and and from from PA to um, to head of IT, delivering IT for how many schools? 30? 30, 30, 38, 39, 39 in September. Um, yeah. yeah, twenty-eight and a half thousand pupils and four and a half thousand staff. Yeah. So, do you know what I mean? That that's team of seventy, almost coming up sixty-five-ish yeah. in my team. Yeah, and. Um, you know, it's it's bloody impressive, and you've done that in 19 years, from PA to yeah. to, to that in 19 years, um, and and that's not a long time. Um, you know that that's let's that's a third of anyone's career, yeah. really, their working life, right? Um, but don't you? One of the things I just like to say is that you know, um, young people today that you know they're going to be working like you are going you're you know you're you know there's no such thing as there won't be retirement at 65 you know they are you are going to be working longer and that you are going to have to have a multi multiple careers you know it might not be you know you might not believe it now or whatever young people might not believe it now but I think that there are going to be um you are going to have to have a number of careers um going forward so I think that it's good that you can see that you can 
like it hopefully it will inspire somebody to say that actually this that this doesn't have to be the be all and end, end all for me and that I can look at swapping careers and I think people will be swapping careers out much more frequently um in, in years to come for young people because I just don't think those jobs for life exist anymore sure sure and I think I think as well you know IT is a service-based um IT roles are service-based roles yeah you are the enabler to certain things or you are there to um to sort say you know network goes down you you know yeah (laughs) things can't run off that right yeah and and I think that people get confused with okay there's technical roles within IT right but me as a non-IT person I don't want to see the technical side of things I want things to work. And if they don't work, I want them fixed. So they do work. Right. Yeah. And so it's a people service. And Correct. I think, and I think that one thing that, that, you know, perhaps people that are bubbly and charismatic and have personality and stuff, perhaps don't consider themselves for an IT role because they're not techies or so on. Yeah. When, when I think you've proven, and I'm not saying you're not, you haven't got technical. No, skills, I know. I'm not, I'm not the most technical person. I mean, you've got the skills to either inspire techies to do it or to deal with clients that have challenges yeah but i have exactly the same conversations i i talk you know um i talk to um principals in our schools now and i say as soon as you know i i ask to go and speak to the the pupils that have taken ict as as a subject for their um options and things like that because um how many girls actually when they talk here to it are they thinking about the engineering and the software development and the deep technical computer programming aspect of it or are they thinking that actually you know somebody that could be considered as a customer services person who's going to work in retail why wouldn't you consider a night to going to deliver in an it service you know those apprentices that we started they didn't have technical skills within two years they're able to deliver in um deliver you know and be in a technical role in a school but it's not deep technical because we have our expert service partners that can help us with that actually I don't want the people in the IT service fixing things to be the the most technical people I want them to be more customer oriented Mm. I want them to be able to go and I don't want them to sit in an IT office and be too scared to go and speak to somebody about their problem. I want them to go and speak to them about it face to face. And when they fixed it, I want them to go and say to them, I think I fixed this, but can you just check it? And I want them to have an interaction. I don't want it to be that technician. That was never the ethos of the service of sitting in an IT office and hiding behind a computer and saying, oh, I'm going to fix this for somebody. And then I'm going to tell them that I fixed, send them an email and tell them that I fixed it. And then they come back and tell me it's not fixed. But if I'd have gone and sat with them, we could have resolved it together much easier. That is, it's always been about it being customer centric and it being a truly service-based model. So the people that, you know, it doesn't need to be technical. They need to be customer service people and I and I want girls to feel that you know if they're considering a job in retail why wouldn't they consider a, a job in IT yeah. in, in service delivery yeah. well if you're selling shoes you don't know how to make shoes no right? exactly yeah. right Jack yeah. exactly yeah. Br- brilliant analogy yeah indeed well anyway it's been a pleasure to get to know the person behind a job title thank you Lisa cheers Jack <laughs> 
Hi, everybody. Thanks so much for listening to that episode of the PE podcast. If you like what you heard, please make sure that you share this episode via your social media channels, as it really does help us to gain traction in promoting this podcast series. Also, please make sure that you also subscribe to the channel that you're listening via, as you'll then get notifications as soon as we release our next podcast episode. Thank you.